Father, we give you thanks that you've gathered us as your people together here today. We thank you for the Lord's Day, which we can set aside to meet with you, to encounter you, the risen Christ. Lord, we ask that you would be present with us, illuminating our minds with your word and showing yourself in fullness in your sacrament. Amen. Memories are interesting things, aren't they? Um, I find, and perhaps you do too, that oftentimes memories are attached to sensory things. I'm going through and boxing and unboxing things right now, um, and though I'm fairly young, as I go through packing and unpacking in this move that Leah and I are making from Lakewood to Cleveland, I come across things from, it seems, other times in my life, other eras completely, right? I come across that old college paper that, gosh, I need to throw away. It's been 10 years now, and I haven't referenced it, <laughs> right? And, and yet that college paper brings back those memories of sitting up late at night to 3 in the morning, pulling those all-nighters and trying to get done that task and, and, and the joy that that, that was with friends for that, that time during my life. And then I come across this music box, simple thing, um, and it reminds me of those dear memories I have of my mother and father putting me to bed, and I had to have this music box by my nightstand wound up every night. I must have drove them nuts. Um, but, you know, little kids, that stability we, we crave, and actually as adults we do too. Um, but uh, I come across that, and it brings back all of that flood of memories. You know, you, you even get it with sensory things like um, sounds, or have you ever had a smell trigger something? And it just takes you back into that world. We're talking about not just memory, but reality today. And as we look at the gospel text, I want to invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 24, because we're looking at Jesus in his fullness, risen, as we continue to celebrate Easter. We said at the beginning of the service, Alleluia, he is risen. Risen Right, and we see that again. Let's try it again. Alleluia, he is risen. Hallelujah, yeah, and we sang it in that wonderful opening hymn, too, right, with that antiphon. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And we see it again in today's gospel, the reality of the risen Christ. Look with me at verse 13 of chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it's on the back of your booklets. The very, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven, seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Now, you know, the first thing we should ask as we look at that text is, what day? Right? That day, Scripture says, and this is part of the, the issue with lectionary reading, is we're always picking up in the middle of the story. 
But if you have your Bibles with you, what day is this? What's going on? Sunday, yes. It's Easter day, absolutely. It's the day of resurrection. It's the very day that our Lord was raised itself. And so, what in the world are these disciples doing walking seven miles from Jerusalem? That should be the next question in your mind. You might think to yourself, well, why is this important? What does the day matter and what does the place matter? But it is important because the beginning of this chapter sets up this story. You see, what Luke is doing here is giving you another account of Jesus' appearing resurrected fully to his followers. If you have your Bibles with you, you'll recall the story. You know it well by now. It's the, it's the, the text that's often read on Easter Sunday. In verse 1, Sunday morning, at dawn, the women go and find an empty tomb. Then in verse 4, they're perplexed by the fact that angels appear to them and tell them the good news of Jesus. And they're joyful, and they return to the eleven in verse 10. And what's the eleven's response? They don't believe. Exactly. They don't believe. In fact, verse 11 tells us, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. These words seemed to them an idle tale, all except Peter, who runs to check it out. So these disciples have heard that news, and yet they're walking seven miles away from Jerusalem. What the heck are they doing? Why would they turn around and walk away from Jerusalem? You know, it's not like they're just going for a walk around the block to clear their head, right? Some of you might do that. I do that at the office, right? I get too engaged into work, and I have to go down the church steps there, and I walk around that block there at St. Charles and Madison and Lakewood, and, you know, I come back to the task, to get back at the task. That's not what's going on here, right? Seven miles, that's a long way. That's a long way. Why are they leaving Jerusalem? Why would they be leaving the rest of the apostles and the place where Jesus has been said to have been resurrected? Why do you think? To go tell others? Well, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Although I don't think it's the case here. Because we see that they're leaving Jerusalem and they're incredibly sad, aren't they? They've lost hope. Absolutely. They've lost hope. They don't believe the account. In fact, to them, it seems an idle tale that Jesus has been resurrected. Look with me at verse 14 and 15. And they, were walk, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they're walking to Emmaus, seven miles away, and Jesus comes upon them. And we don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us if Jesus is coming from the other direction um, I've seen it depicted various ways in art, right? Maybe you have too. The uh, New English translation says that he joined them and began to accompany them. So maybe he overtook them. We don't know. But at any rate, Jesus comes in his resurrected body and starts walking with them. And yet they don't see him. They don't recognize him for who he is. 
he seems a stranger to them. The Greek word there used for recognize is epi, epigos, I'm sorry, epigenosko. Say that three times fast. Epigenosko. It is a word which doesn't just mean to recognize, but it also means to be thoroughly acquainted with, to know him accurately and thoroughly. To be thoroughly acquainted with, to know him accurately or thoroughly. So when it says that they don't, he don't, they don't recognize the risen Jesus, it's not just saying, hey, we don't recognize him as a person. It's saying they don't see his fullness, you see. There's more going on here that does not meet the eye, as a matter of fact. And Jesus is going to change that. The risen Christ is going to give them a fuller understanding of himself. And what does he do? He asks them, what's this conversation you're having? What are you talking about? In modern English, right? You can see the sense of pain that that question brings to the disciples, can't you? You can see the pain and the upsetness that it brings to them. They're not just upset with the fact that they've been interrupted, as you and I might be upset if we're having a deep conversation with a close friend and somebody comes up and says, hey, what's going on? That's not it. There's much more going on here because this question has brought back to them the full memories of the crucifixion and betrayal of their Lord. Continue on with me in the scriptures. Look at the second half of verse 17. They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened here in these days? Can you almost feel the, it's anger almost. I mean, it's hard to read, it's hard to read emotion too much into the scriptures, but I think you see here that it's almost an indignation. And why is it? Because it's coming out of a deep sadness and a deep pain. They lost their Lord. They lost their teacher. They lost a dear friend. And those of you that have lost someone close to you know what this is like, right? When you lose someone that matters to you, someone that you've shared life with, someone that you've gone through all sorts of things with, it seems like the whole world should stop and recognize that, doesn't it? And yet... Does the world stop? No, the world goes on. And so they're indignant at the fact that this Jesus, it seems, has already been forgotten. It seems that he's already lost his effect on the world. Of course, we know that that's not true. Of course, the reader, we, the reader, see that this is in fact Jesus the Christ, and it's not just a memory that's being kept alive, it's a person that is resurrected. But they don't see that yet because they're so lost in their grief and their despair and mourning. And look at Jesus' words. I love how he handles them. In verse 19, Jesus, who fully knows what happened in Jerusalem, says to them, What things? What things? Now, is this just Jesus playing along in trickery? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is Jesus being a therapist, if you will. This is Jesus being a counselor, if you will. Because here we see Jesus, who fully knows the nails that pierced his hands, and Lord fully knows the thorn that was on his brow, having them recount that to him. Right? He knows that they need to speak this out loud. He knows that they need to voice their despair and voice their mourning. And boy, do they, as we continue on here. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And if you have a pen with you, if you're one to mark in your Bible, underline verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So do you see, they're unfortunately not going off, spreading the good news, but they've completely lost hope. They're walking away from the resurrection itself. But Jesus doesn't leave them there. He continues, Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since all these things happened. Moreover, Some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. But him they did not see. So do you see, Luke is telling us this story, not just as another version of the resurrection, but as something building on the earlier version of the resurrection, that these disciples had been in the presence of the eleven and the women that came back from the tomb, but again are lost in their despondency, lost in their grief. The risen Jesus, however, lets them speak, listens to them, and then teaches them very gently. Look at verse 25. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. So what does Jesus do? He takes them to his word. He listens to them, he hears their grief, but then he takes them to the Bible. I don't know about you, but I'm unfortunately uh, uh, ashamed to admit (laughs) that the Bible is not the first place I go to when I'm grieving. It should be. It should be the comfort of God's word, but it's usually not. I might go to a friend. I might go try to do something that I enjoy right? But I generally don't turn to God's word, and yet we see here Jesus turning his disciples back to his word. And why? Because he wants to interpret for them, the scripture says, the fact that he is the fulfillment of all of those things going on in the Old Testament. And boy, that must have been something to hear, right? 
To hear Jesus go through from Moses on and say, verse, you know, uh, just to give you a couple examples, uh, Exodus, right? Exodus, the the Passover, the Passover lamb. um, That was a pre-shadow, a prefigurement of me. You know, the, the lamb was slaughtered. The blood was put on the lintel of the doors so that the angel of death passed over. That was to show God's people that I would be here and take their place. Or the prophets, perhaps Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, the suffering servant, that God's servant must suffer and die and be betrayed, that all of this was predicted hundreds of years before Jesus. Or even maybe Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, where Zechariah writes to God's people, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that they will look on me, on him whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for the only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. You see, the grief isn't wrong. The grief and mourning isn't bad, but the grief has blinded them. And perhaps even Jesus went through the Psalms speaking of the resurrection. Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, the psalmist writes, My heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Or as some translations put it, see the pit. Right? We could go on. I'm sure it was a phenomenal Bible study. And far from being wearied on this ambulatory Bible study, the disciples want to know more, right? Look at verse 28. Their mood changes as Jesus continues explaining to them the scriptures. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And I'm sure they thought that the Bible study would go on, and that he would continue to give them the interpretation of the word, right? They seem to want that. And yet that's not what Jesus does. That's interesting to me. Because you could go on and on and on, couldn't you, for hours. Jesus agrees to stay with them, but he joins them for supper. And I'm sure that the disciples didn't expect that, necessarily. The stranger who had brought them out of their grief who had given them a teaching. But what he's about to do is reveal himself fully to them, not just in his word, but in bread, broken. You see, that's one of the wonderful things about being an Anglican Christian, is that it's not just our mind that's fed. It's also our hearts and bodies. We hear from God's word. Yes, we study God's word. Yes, we go to God's word in mourning. And yet, when we're incapacitated mentally, when we are taken up with grief, when we are not in a place to logically analyze who God is and to know him in that way, we can still come to him because he comes to us in the bread and the wine. And so we see here that Jesus sits down at table with them, and as he's breaking that bread, they get it. 
They get it. Verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized them. And they recognized him rather. And he vanished from their sight. So here we have the supreme irony in Luke's gospel where he actually vanishes physically from them. But there's that word again, epigenasco, right? There's that word again. He is recognized as he vanishes because they see him completely for who he is, accurately for who he is, who he is to them as the risen Christ in the bread broken. And in fact, they're so transformed by this meal after this study that they don't stay in Emmaus, but they get up and go all the way back seven miles, not a short hike, back to the 11 to report what's going on. Look at their reflection. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those that were gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how, we was, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friends, how does this touch you and I today? How does this story bring us to the Lord today? Because it's true. Because it's real. And no matter where you are, whether you're just distracted because of work, maybe you're exhausted. Maybe it's been one heck of a week for you. Maybe you haven't had time to have prayer time. Or read the scriptures. It happens, right? Maybe you've overcommitted yourself to things and you haven't had any time to reflect upon your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're too taxed. Jesus still comes to you today. Or perhaps you're in emotional pain. Perhaps, like these disciples, you're distraught over something. I don't know what's going on in your life. You know that, you and the Lord. But maybe you're distracted because something is broken in your life, a relationship. The risen Jesus comes to you today. Perhaps you're struggling, maybe with physical pain, maybe because of age or an injury. Maybe it blocks your ability to study or to minister in the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter. Jesus comes to you today. You see, dear Christian, this passage is written not for the unbeliever, but for the believer, because it's written to the disciple. And you and I are those disciples that continue to walk in the way of our Lord. And we can talk about how important it is for you to be here on Sunday every week, week in and week out. How important it is for us to try to claw our way here, no matter what's happening in life. But ultimately, the choice rests upon you. Is there a better place to be? Is there a more important activity to be engaged in? Is there something more joyful than being in the very presence of the risen Savior, who was pierced for you? who listens to you even in your foolish ramblings. 
who loves you so much that he reveals himself to you weekly and comes to meet with you weekly at this table, at this altar, to feed you, to strengthen you, to equip you, just to be with you. That's how much God loves you, friends. We don't just remember Jesus' death. These aren't just symbols or objects that recall to us the faith. It is truly Jesus present with us, desiring to be with us in communion with us, in relationship with us. Come to the table, meet with our Lord, and never let this grow mundane. For it's in the sacrament and the word that we see the fullness of the risen Christ. Amen.